Salams guys, my name is Mohammed Zaud and I'm the co-founder of Toledo Society, which is a podcast network dedicated to English-speaking Muslims across the globe. We've launched a couple of shows and we have several in the pipeline. Our first show, which is called The Transit Lounge, which I host, is currently live and you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. On The Transit Lounge, we interview people who've had a considerable impact on the Muslim world. People who've had positions at the White House, members of parliament, business people and community people. We also have another show that's currently live called Seven Stories, Seven Minute Stories as you drop off your kids to school. We'd love your feedback and if you'd like to find out more, visit ToledoSociety.com. That's T-O-L-E-D-O Society.com. Assalamu alaikum. I'm Khalil Aliga. And I'm Zahir Parker. And welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. So AccidentalMuslims.com is a, a movement, a platform where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. And we believe that everybody has a story to tell. This podcast hopes to add value. So welcome and enjoy. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to AccidentalMuslims.com. That's myself, Nabil Muhammad, our host, and my dear friend, Dr. Yusuf Patel. We have Sheikh Hamza Mampul today with us. Assalamu alaikum. It's indeed an honor and pleasure to have you here in Cape Town. We, Sheikh Hamza Mabul is in South Africa for the Sheikh Hamza Mabul South African tour. And he just came back now from Johannesburg and Durban and Alhamdulillah, he's arrived in Cape Town. And like they always say, if you have not come to Cape Town, you have not seen South Africa. So welcome to our beloved city-state. Um, what were your impressions of Durban and Johannesburg, Sheikh? Uh, very, very interesting, very vibrant society. Uh, and one of the really nice things about the Muslims here is that despite being a minority demographically, they seem like they're organically part of the soil and part of the tapestry of this land. People smile at each other and they don't uh, you know, look at each other as foreigners or outsiders. And I think there's a lot of khair in that, inshallah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. So, Sheikh, this is your second visit to, to South Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Compared to your first visit in 2009, 2010, what are the differences that you've seen, at least in Johannesburg and Durban? You know, I, 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 don't, I don't know that uh, it's all that different than mm-hmm. uh, what my impressions were from that time, except for uh, I see that the institutions that the Muslims have, they're, they're, they're on course. Okay. So the Madaris have trained a new generation of students in those 10 years. In yes. fact, many of them... Uh, that are teaching now say that, well, when you came last time, I was in my first year or, or something like okay, that. And then just like that, you have the other institutions like the Jamiyat and the Samha and, uh, you know, just other institutions like yeah. that, commercial uh, and, uh, uh, and, and and civic. And uh, okay. everything seems to be going well. Alhamdulillah. Sheikh, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. What is your life task? Who is Sheikh Hamza Makbul? Uh, so my uh, birth was in uh, California, in Southern California, in the Los Angeles area. Uh, I lived there until I was 10, and then we moved. My father, uh, you know, I think he saw some documentary about gangs or something, Crips and Bloods or whatever. Yeah. So I said, we got to get out of here. So we moved to, <laughs> we moved to uh, rural Washington State, and I grew up in Blaine, Washington, which is a small town of, at the time, 3,000 people. I think it's up to four now. Um, it's on the border with Canada. And I went to middle school, high school over there, uh, community college. After graduating from, from school, I went to university in the University of Washington, mm-hmm. Seattle, 
where I did two degrees, one in uh, biochemistry and the other in Near Eastern languages, which is a sure. fancy way of saying Arabic and the Turkic languages of Central Asia. Yeah, and, at that, and at that time, 9-11 uh, um, happened. And 9-11 was a really traumatic experience for, uh, for uh, Muslims in America. I think we kind of made it a little bit more traumatic than it really was, uh, but uh, it was what it was nonetheless. And uh, I, you know, because of the, the huge demand for people to speak about Islam in America at that time, because people wanted to know what is Islam that's getting blamed for all of this. The university... Uh, because they didn't have enough people to go and speak about Islam in different places, and because I was in the department, they just listed my name as uh, a resource that people can use to learn about mm -hmm. Islam. So here I am, uh, you know, a second, third year Arabic student, and, uh, and, and I'm going to literally, for like that September, October, I'm going to like two and three places in a day to speak about Islam. Mm -hmm. And some of, the, some of the venues that I spoke at were like really big venues, mashallah, like they're, they're like hundreds of people there and there was a lot of money put into into those uh, discussions and they actually had people who had like academic backgrounds military backgrounds political backgrounds etc etc civil society and they're speaking about islam and uh, i'm speaking about islam there as well and i realized wow these people know a lot about islam and just because they they, they know a lot and just because they speak doesn't mean that they're speaking in the best interest of our own communities okay. and uh after thinking about it, I thought, well, why would they? Uh, everybody has their own uh, their own objectives in life, uh, and so if we want to represent ourselves, why should we be sore that you know these people who have economic or political or religious interests that run counter to Islam should speak on our behalf? This is our own stupidity that we haven't you know been spending uh, all of our human capital uh, on on making doctors and engineers and we haven't you know made anyone to speak for ourselves the 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 most pitiful part of which is that uh, you have a, a kind of a modernist class of people in America who think that the ulama are all backwards idiots and they're the ones who are mm -hmm. responsible for the decline of the ummah and uh, that's great but like if you want to be a complainer you can complain if you want to be part of the solution then you go study the deen and represent it the way it needs to be represented so I said to my father uh, I said, boy, like, I don't, I don't think that the need of this age right now is another Desi doctor. All due respect. Yeah. Uh, yes. No, 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 no problem. <laughs> to, uh, to, to I agree one hundred percent. So, like, you know, I said the need of this age is something else. I go, like, you know, I can do a mediocre job being a doctor, or I could do this thing, and it's really going to be, um, and it's really going to be something that uh, there's demand for. And so he said, okay, son, go ahead and you know do what you need to do. And then uh, after that, you know, life took me down the road to studying in Mauritania. Uh, and spending, having the honor of spending some time with Murabit al-Hajj and in Tuimarat. Although he was very aged, so we would read our dhurus from him for Barakah. Uh, mm. But we were the last generation of people that you could still have a conversation with. Mm. Uh, after that, he was, he, was, he was so weak that it was difficult to get du'as or, or to yeah. talk with him even. Uh, and then after that, I went to the Emirates where Murabit's nephew, uh, the son of the Sheikh Haddamin, who's currently yes, yes. the Sheikh of, of Tuimarat after uh, Murabit's passing, um, I, I read from him a number of books personally, uh, and then after that I went to Pakistan where I, um, where I, I attended the Jamia Madaniya, one of the old Madars of Lahore, and uh, I placed into the Jalalin year, which is the, the, the sixth year out of an eight-year course. And so I did the Jalalain year, the Mishkat year, and the, the Dora year, and uh, the Sheikh al-Hadith said, as long as you pass the exams, we'll give you, we'll give you the Sanad at the end of it. Uh, and uh, at the time I was like, 
so like Darvish, like you know, like uh, uh, pious, uh, otherworldly of a person. Yeah. I don't need the son of. Yeah. In retrospect, I'm glad that I have it because uh, you know, uh, although I, there are many things in my life that I did that that uh, I don't I think are a waste of time, but uh, to see my name you know written underneath the names of the Mashaif, mm-hmm. it's an honor that I I don't deserve, but I would never I would never give up now that I have it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. then after that I came to America and then I'm the Hamza that you guys know. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> <laughs> Something um, interesting to mention there, I find often that students, when they come out of high school, um, if they do really well, they either go into an engineering or medical degree, either don't do well, do too well, maybe they get a B or something, they go into business science or BCom or something. Um, and often you find that the, the students at the lowest rung, they either find themselves doing a BA degree, going into education, or they go to a Darul Ulum. Um, how do we make Islamic scholarship more attractive to students as a primary alternative and not just as a sideline alternative? So I think that that's a little bit of a stereotype. There are there are top-notch yeah. people who go to the Darulum. And I think the Darulum, it should be, this, the student body of it should be diverse and it should represent the Ummah. Mm-hmm. So you should have some ulama who are top-notch people, but if all of them are, then how are they going to minister to the mass, like, the, the plebeian slobs of the Ummah. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yes, yes, yes. And it's in Pakistan and India because the, the stratification of society is literally like entrenched in this like thousands of years old caste system. Yes. Um, it, it's even more apparent that if you live in a village where everyone is illiterate and they're all just like sugarcane farmers or something like that, if you're going to have like some Imam Ghazali type dude you know, go back to that place, they'll drive him insane. Yes. He's yeah. not going to know how to deal with them. He's yeah. going to end up killing somebody. They're going to end up killing him. Yeah. It's, you know, he's going to restore mosques. Yeah. Saying that you pu- so what do you need? The sunnah is what? That you send the, the, the you know, because the ulama are the warathul anbiya, they're the inheritors of the prophets. So Allah Ta'ala sent a prophet to every home from amongst them. Yeah. Because he's the one who knows their the tricks of their trade. You know what I mean? So there are there are a number of top-notch people who, who, who feel this vocation. And there should be from every demographic uh, segment of society, uh, people who go and minister to, to their own. Um, and this is one of the things I also wonder, you know, sometimes because I'm not from the traditional uh, route of, of, of people who choose uh, uh, Islamic scholarship. You know, I don't come from a religious family. My background, I didn't do hifs as a kid. You know, I'm not a Hafiz of Quran. I'm not. I learned to read Arabic, you know, after I became an adult and things like that. I, you know, I didn't have a Qadi who taught me other mm-hmm. as a kid. Uh, but uh, uh, in kind of wondering about what's the, the hikmah and the wisdom and possibly in, in taking this route is that, you know, uh, if, uh, if there wasn't someone like me, then people who are like me but didn't take the madrasa route would not find somebody that they could mm, yes. relate to or talk to or could give them answers that they'll understand. Um, and, and so, I mean, that's alhamdulillah, that's all, all from the fadl of Allah Ta'ala. Mm. Sheikh, so you mentioned uh, a bit earlier you spent some time in Mauritania, in mm-hmm. the blessed lands of, of Mauritania, with uh, the great uh, Sheikh Murabad al-Hajm, uh, who passed away recently. May Allah grant him a high place in Jannah. We spent some time there, myself and Nabil traveled there, I think about two years ago. But I think for, for, for the viewers out there, are there a few anecdotal experiences that you could share with them with regards to Murabad al-Hajj, or what you benefited from the people of the village? So, I mean, one of the things, I don't like to throw out Murabit's name all that much because uh, I'm not trying to do this, like, brand recognition. Yeah. Allah Ta'ala sees who is Murabit and who, who, who are people like me. Yes. Uh, and, I, you know, really, honestly, when he passed away, uh, I, I, I make dua for him when he passed away and while he was alive. 
and with the with the conviction that uh, that uh, the people like me making dua for him is more beneficial for me than it is for him. Yes. Yeah. The hadith of the Prophet sallallahu that the person who makes dua for his brother behind his back, Allah Ta'ala sends an angel. Uh, uh, Allah Ta'ala sends an angel uh, to say Amin and for him as well. And uh, that phase that Allah Ta'ala gave him, if the angels are saying, give it to me as well, that benefits me much more mm-hmm. than it benefits him. Because uh, if nobody made dua for him at all, he already, his own a'mal are, are in, you know, in a, in a row, aligned enough, inshallah, bi'ithnillahi tabarak wa ta'ala, that he should have a high maqam of, uh, you know, that's commensurate with the, the, the wilaya that, 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 that we saw from him. So you have a man who lives in the desert, he lives in a tent. One side of the tent is always up. It's too hot for it to be closed down, closed down for too long. Uh, and so literally he's been teaching for more than 80 years. He's four Shalom. generations of students of knowledge, four generations of ulama, um, the eldest of which he survived almost all of them to a man. There's very few of them left. And four generations of ulama bear witness to the fact that they never saw this man commit a sin before. He's literally just been sitting out there. When we were there, all he would do is face the Qibla, read Quran, pray Salat, say Wa Alaikum Salaam to someone's Salaam, and every now and then, now and again, we'd hear him recite some abiyat from the Burda, right? Mm. So after having seen him, uh, the shock that I had when they have like these hagiographical works about the people, mm. the great ulama and the awliya of the past, that, uh, you know, the, the doubt that a person has. That you know maybe they're just kind of cooking the books and making making like you know this much of a story into this yeah. big you know yeah. that that's not that's not actually what's happening like making a small story into stretching it out into a tall tale but that's not what's happening um, rather there actually are people like this and in my travels I've met people like this Allah Murabit is like singularly the most like literally over to- the top example of of that that I saw and so uh, once that realization kind of sunk in. I was like, man, we need to go to we need to go to him and get like as many duas as we can, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know. Yes, yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, and uh, 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 so I'm, I feel ashamed even to say that I'm a student of, of his. Uh, and if Allah Taala puts me in that list on the day of judgment, uh, I'm, I'm not. It's a it's an honor that I I wouldn't trade for the world while while admitting that it's not something I'm worthy of. But because you guys you guys asked, um, you know, uh, he he would be very shafiq with the students. The time after Maghrib, people would go and, and take du'a for him, from him, and they have a really beautiful tradition. We should have traditions like this. They would have beautiful traditions, like uh, we would take our our our, our, our uh, caps off and our turbans off, and mm-hmm. lay both hands on yeah. on our heads and give us du'as. And like you don't know what that means to a person, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and we live in this age where it's just like, oh, you got an A, shabash bitte, you know, like off to the next class. Um, that's like that's missing, and it's funny because I taught like. No, those are big people, mashallah, yeah. they teach big things. I, talk, I teach like little kids, Quran, you don't know, even if the dars is hard, even if you're harsh with the kids, right? Nowadays, there's a version to like being harsh with the kids. Mm-hmm. Look, Allah Ta'ala, if there was no benefit in being harsh with people, Allah Ta'ala wouldn't have invented the Jahannam. Jahannam itself is a mercy to, to the people because if Jahannam didn't exist, there would be so many people who would never find Iman. Uh, so it's not the only thing you should do and you shouldn't overdo it, but it's... You know, the, the carrot and stick, that's 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 the way human beings, that's what they respond to. That's the way life is, you know. If you want to deny that, you're just denying the fundamental reality of the universe. So even the kids, you know, no matter how, you know, I'm not, you know, how, how harsh, you know, their, their class was, how difficult it was. We forget how hard it is to, like, learn how to read. It's a very mm-hmm. traumatic experience at first until you get the hang of it. So those, like, kids, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, uh, 11, 12-year-old kids, when the dars was over, I just called them up 
by name one after the other and then just say give them dua and just put my yes. head on hand on their head you know if it's the you know the the little girls you yes. like the Mauritanian <laughs> they'll put their they'll put the child the child there in their yes. hand and then they'll, they'll 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 pat them on the head like that you don't know how much it means to a kid literally they'll come they'll come back to yes. you and they'll forget about all of the difficulty and all of the yeah. the harshness of the class just for that and one in particular one child was like I know it's possibly Murabit, but this is what we learned from our elders. Mm-hmm. One kid was particularly like a troublemaker. So kid's so hyper, they can't. <laughs> you just can't restrain it. And it's beautiful, yeah. but it makes running class really hard. So the kid is like running around the masjid, big yes. masjid, <laughs> flapping his arms, screaming, <laughs> the whole time. I said, what, what, what's going on, man? He goes, I'm a pterodactyl. Uh, it's a pterodactyl, not a pterodactyl. No, there's a P in the front. I said, the P is silent. Okay, trust me, I know this. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, uh, so I, I said, pterodactyl, sit. And then he, he'll sit down. And then I put my hand on his head and say, good pterodactyl. And then, <laughs> and then he'll sit and like start the dash. Otherwise, the kid is completely irascible, you know? Yeah. This type of like shafaka and this humanity, uh, when it's like the other side of the coin of like... Uh, uh, type of unrivaled scholarship matched by none. I mean, literally a man memorized more books than a person can carry. It's like a miraculous level of scholarship. Uh, a proof of the, 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 the truth of Islam, the haqq of Islam, that this, this ilm is really not from this world. Mm. And it really is the, the, uh, the miraf and the legacy of the Anbiya Alim and nothing from this dunya resembles it. And then to have that, but on the flip side, to be so human yes. and so humble and so, like literally to live in the earth, like to sit in the sand, yes. uh, a level of humility. Uh, it's, it's a very humbling and overwhelming experience. Talking mm-hmm. about um, humanity, when we spend our time in Tuamara, that's something that really comes out. It's often said that the people of Mauritania, you take from the um, states before you take from the statements. And um, it's unfortunate we didn't have a chance to, an opportunity to take knowledge from Rabbi Al-Hajj, but he left us with a, a dua that may Allah give you a good state or leave you in a good state. But what I found um, in Mauritania, it's just something else being in a pre-modern world altogether. It's totally pre-modern in Mauritania. And people still have that sense of asabiya, there's that social cohesion in a village like that. How do you compare your experience living in Mauritania to where you are now residing in Chicago? Uh, it's a different experience. And this is actually, to be honest with you, uh, one of the reasons I'm very thankful that I both had the chance to li- study in Mauritania and I had the chance to study with the ulama in Pakistan. And the madrasa system in many ways is like just the other end of the, the spectrum from uh, the madrasa system in the subcontinent is the other end of the spectrum from uh, from the Mauritanian experience, where the Mauritanian experience are unburdened by, by, by much of modernity, and you're unburdened by much of society. It's just you and the books and a really scorching hot sun and hot sand yeah. outside. Uh, and uh, so all you do is sit and study. Whereas I'm very thankful for the, the experience of studying in Pakistan because in it you have people who imbibe that knowledge but then they teach you how you're supposed to carry it in the streets amongst cars and amongst cell phones and mm-hmm. amongst wealthy people and amongst politicians and amongst doctors and lawyers and amongst, you know, women who don't cover and amongst, you know, all these different different experiences that you don't have in Mauritania. It's a mujahada how, itself. How are you? Not only mujahada, there's an adab. It's, a, it's not a science, it's an art. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there are people like that, 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 you know, you learn how to carry the ilm from. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I had this discussion with Mulana Junaid Kharsani. Maybe some of you are uh, familiar with him from Radio Islam. 
and uh, he mentioned that about the marhum Moana Yunus Patel. Allah Ta'ala have mercy on him that he, he passed away making dua in front of the house of Allah Ta'ala, uh, one of the senior elder ulama from Durban. That um, he said that I learn my knowledge from the books, but I learn how to uh, to be a man of this knowledge, how to carry the knowledge amongst the people from him, from watching him, how he interacts with mm -hmm. people and how he deals with people. And so I'm very, very thankful that we had that experience as well, because there are many people who learn what they did from Mauritania, but uh, so their, their ascent was, was, was astronomical. Yeah. And just like that, their crash back into society was like traumatic. Yes. Uh, uh, whereas uh, you know Allah Taala, you know the the khair is not in one place. Allah Taala spread all of the the good uh, amongst the ummah to the point where if anyone says that the deen is just here and it's not there, uh, that person that person doesn't know what they're talking about or they're lying to you. Um, but you have these pieces that you gather from all of the different places and the hikmah of Allah Taala also because this is how the ummah stays at ummah. Mm -hmm. You gather all these pieces from all these different places and only when you can do that can can you have like a whole picture of the way things should be. So, uh, yeah, Mauritania is, to put it in, uh, you know, to annoy and irritate any anthropologists who might be listening, <laughs> there's, a, there's a book that, uh, there's a book I've been reading recently called uh, uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel. Yes, yes. It has a, very, has a very interesting breakdown of, of human society at the level of a band, a tribe, um, and I forget what the next, uh, the next level is. Uh, but it's like some sort of like a like a like a like a multi-tribal like a, a like society, and then a chiefdom, I think, is what the mm, word yes. uses, and then and then a nation, right? Mm. And so the Mauritanians are still on the band state, and it's interesting because if you want to understand human interactions, you have to. You, you, it's inst I don't say you have to, but it's instructive to know how these things build on one another. Mm. So Mauritania is still one of those places in the world where. Uh, it's essentially a band. What is Tremarat, right? It's yeah. like, what, yeah. 100, 110 people. They're all uh, uh, related to one another. And even though they recognize the the, the leadership of Murabit or Haddamin, if a person didn't know who's who um, and they all stood in a line, they all look exactly the yeah. same as one another. That's so true. you learn how to how to deal with one another and on a very like milk of the mother human level. Whereas then we don't live in bands. You know what I mean? Yeah. We live, you live in Cape Town. I mean, there's stuff going on. There's a, a post-apartheid legacy. There's navigating race. There's navigating money. This year there's water. Last year there wasn't. There's all the stuff that's going on that, that's not at that level. And if you're, if you're, you know, it's important not to idealize or romanticize. If you're stuck at the lower level, mm. um, you're not going to be able to bring a relevant Islam that's helpful for people. And so it doesn't mean that you cast aside the lower level, but you learn the lessons from it that you need to. And then you learn from every, every, every uh, stage what you need to learn. And one of the beauties of Islam is it teaches people how to live in this, in this kind of like state level of society. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, not throw away that, that, that original human organic experience that people have with their families, yeah. with the, with, yeah. you know, you know, so, so that all of those levels of, uh, of, of, of human organizations can coexist in the same, in the same locus and you benefit from them on the mm -hmm. same level that you have to be really tight with your family, that you honor the fact that you belong to a certain home yes. or a certain, mm -hmm. a certain like lineage. Uh, and uh, that's okay. You know, it's not racist to like understand. Okay, yeah, I'm yeah. Punjabi. You're Gujarati, right? Nabil's from Cape Town. Uh, uh, or, <laughs> you know, so uh, uh, you honor honor that without like being a jerk to other people or like, yeah. denying people a job or whatever. But uh, the, the, and, and at the same time, 
uh, you can come together as a as a as an ummah, like nationally and internationally, and you understand what the adab of that, you know, how to behave properly in that. Um, talking about the adab, um, you know, you're talking about issues that we have in the post-apartheid world. Now, currently, the debate is about land expropriation mm-hmm. without compensation. Mm-hmm. Um, and South Africa, as South Africans, we have a long history of activism, whereas Muslims were very much part of the struggle. But what is, we, we have this, I see you gave the talk in Durban as well on identity politics mm-hmm. between secular liberalism and um, so, activism, right? Mm-hmm. So where's the fine line? What is the adab of activism? And where do we cut the fine line with identity po- politics? Do we embrace this dichotomy? Is it a false dichotomy? And what is the general adab of us as Muslims and engaging in these struggles? So, mashallah, I don't think this podcast is going to go on for another three hours, so I'm not going to be able to answer your question. <laughs> However, and, and interestingly enough, for those of you who were at the, the talk in Durban, uh, you'll know that I actually didn't, I didn't even touch the subject uh, because I felt I didn't have enough time from the, uh, from the previous day's uh, talk on modernism. I just basically continued on that yes. and I didn't touch the subject. But I'm glad that I have a, 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 an opportunity to kind of like at least, you know, spit out a little bit of, uh, of, of where I wanted to begin with regards to that talk. And that is that identity, what does the ident- word identity translate to in, in Arabic? It's nafs, something being the same as something. Um, uh, you know, the identity matrix is that matrix that you can multiply another matrix by yielding the result of the same matrix as the first one. It's like multiplying something by one, the result will always be the same. Mm. Uh, and so um, the Western civilization, what is their big triumphal uh, uh, self-realization with regards to identity? Uh, you know, cardito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am, which, you know, from the point of view of, of Islam, uh, its intellectual tradition and its spiritual tradition is utter nonsense. It's utter, it's, it's rubbish. It's completely yes. like, you know, it's something that's more worthy of a baboon than it is of a human being uh, who knows Allah Ta'ala. Uh, rather, the, the, uh, the, the whole journey in Islam starts from the state of fana. The, the day that you can get a handle on your nafs, subjugate it to you. You don't destroy it, right? So yes. some, some, whatever, Indian traditions like Jainism or whatever that idealize like, you know, a type of ritualized suicide because uh, because to them existence is pointless and the best that a person can do is is escape from that pointlessness so we say no everything has a point there's a reason for it right there and uh, your 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 animal self right the body that you have the genes that you have the color that you have all of these things um, the only useful only useful state that they have is when they're subjugated like a horse that's that's uh, broken for riding. Yes. Mm-hmm. And fana is the beginning of the journey. Fana is the door. And uh, uh, you know, to get to that state where you're at the zero zero level, mm-hmm. to get to that state, it sometimes takes a lifetime. Sometimes people die in that, in you know, in in that pursuit. And even that that death is noble. But part of the understanding with regards to identity is getting to that state. Uh, without it, if you haven't found the door, you're not going to enter into the building. Anyone who describes anything that's inside of the building is just talking. You know, they're just blowing blow smoke at that point. Uh, they're not. They're not. They're, they have. They're. They're describing something that they haven't tasted themselves or you know haven't uh, beheld themselves yet. 
So uh, I think that this idea of identity uh, in terms of being proud of your mm-hmm. being proud of your like monkey like state uh, that 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 Muslims have have embraced now, right? That the uh, uh, for whatever reasons the rise of the nation state. We don't have time to go into all of that, but that that's essentially what nationalism is, and the Muslims have turned Islam into essentially a nationality uh, or a quasi nationality or quasi race. It's just the dumbest thing ever, and it's just going to make a person. They may be successful in this world in terms of their political machinations and whatnot, um, but uh, in the akhirah, it's going to all be you know habat manfur. It's not going to be of any any benefit to anybody. Uh, rather, there's a completely different model that we we need to be following, and that model starts with self rectification, and that self rectification then branches out to the entire world. And I'm not the kind of guy who says like, oh look, you're not. You're not uh, you're not 100 there yet, so stop worrying about what's happening out in the street and just work on yourself. Rather, if you look at the Sahaba the Allah Anhum, they did both of them together, mm-hmm. but they did do both of them. Do you understand yeah. what I'm saying? Yes. They weren't they weren't they weren't people who are like, oh, how can you talk about like whatever X Y Z spiritual hippie pie in the sky in July weed smoking, uh, you know uh, whatever uh, sipping latte while uh, misquoting <laughs> Rumi type of nonsense. <laughs> when your brothers, your brothers and sisters in Palestine are dying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 the fact of the matter is like, yes, you should say something about Palestine. You should do something about Palestine, but. The fact that you don't think that the other stuff is important betrays something that you're just you're just you know you're just a, one of the people of the problem, but by other means. If somebody propagates the problem, the problem, the basic problem of existence in Islam is what to put it in like unnecessarily like philosophery type terms. Uh, I, I say philosophy, not philosophical. I say philosophy on purpose because uh, you you know you have to speak in a certain way to impress people in a certain circle. Uh, whereas people of actual insight, you know, they they they, they open the wrapper and throw it away and look at what's inside. But to put it in philosophy like terms, what's a, what's the essential problem in the world according to Islam? It's takabur. It's, it's arrogance, right? So if you're not if you're gonna just basically fight arrogance with arrogance, you're just not multiplying the yeah. problem by two. Exactly. Uh, and, and, and so so I think that we have to have a very different model. I hate the word paradigm uh, just because it really means nothing. Uh, like a lot of words and a lot of buzzwords, like a lot of buzzwords, you know, people yeah. lose their whistle at when they hear it, but it's not, it doesn't really mean anything all that, all that significant yeah, yeah. or it's profound, just... but the, 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 the model that our, our, our elders and our forefathers gave us, uh, is completely different. And to discuss Islam in terms of the model given to us by like post nation state identity politics, you know, Farangiism, I don't really think there's, there's like a whole, you're not going to go so far. Um, one final question, if you can zoom in on this. What's your thoughts about accidentalmuslims.com? The name. The name. Yeah, I know if you mean it in the in the in the uh, uh, philosophical sense of uh, uh, not uh, the mundane sense. Hadith, hadith, <laughs> hadith, hadith versus qadim, uh, you know, accidental as in something that exists in time, in yeah. time and space, then uh, it makes a lot of sense. Otherwise, mashallah, nothing happens by accident. That's our aqidah, mashallah. So uh, it is nice to uh, it is nice to marvel at how. Allah makes certain things happen uh, for our own benefit. That if it wasn't for His fadl and His grace, uh, we would have never found uh, guidance. It's it's good to marvel about that because it makes a, a person all the more appreciative of of, of Allah Taala's fadl when it hits us. 
but otherwise nothing is an accident. So you should go to on, sleep comfortable at, at night knowing that. On that point, when I, when I think of accidental Muslims, I think that a lot of us, we've been born into a Muslim home. Mm-hmm. We take it for granted that we are Muslims. I thought you were raised by wolves. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> One man wolf pack. So yeah, we're all alone in this world. But it reminds me of Imam Ghazali's Munkin Min al-Dalal, his uh-huh. autobiography. And he says like, he's been born as a Muslim. Um, he, he has this sort of epistemological and spiritual crisis and he goes on this path to find indubitable truth, sure. right? And I know uh, a project of yours is teaching Akida, you're busy translating Imam Tahawi's work as well as doing a commentary on it. And I think it's really important that we study Akida and we know why we believe what we believe and it's not just merely accidental, all right? Um, can you tell us a little bit about the importance of studying Akira and about your project on translation, translating Imam Tawi's work? Yeah, uh, so look, in the system of Islam, Ihsan, Islam, Iman, Ihsan, that the deen is Islam, in, you know, in reference to the hadith, how the deen manifests itself outwardly on the limbs and laws and things like that. And then Iman, how the deen manifests itself in the mind. Uh, as opposed to the brain, the mind is the spiritual seat of cognition in a human being. And ihsan, meaning how the deen expresses itself in the heart, which is not the physical heart, but the spiritual heart. Um, you have to understand right action cannot come except for from a right conception or right thought. Um, only, only the most foolish of people will not understand that. This is something we have in common with the Buddhists, with all sorts of different wisdom traditions uh, of the ancient world. That right action can only come from right thought. And modernism, on the other hand, says, you know, anything that's not physically tangible, it's as if it's not real or may as well not be real. And so we say, no, that's not the, the model that we follow, even though many Muslims seem to have followed that model and they think about aqidah as a waste of time. But we say, no, uh, right action cannot come from except for right, right thought. Otherwise, in al-a'malu bin niyat doesn't make any sense that all actions are based on their intentions. So uh, kind of try to counter that, that, that uh, reductionist wave of, uh, of thought and of being uh, uh, that, that seems to have taken over even many of the religious amongst the Muslims, even some of the ulama, it's affected them without them knowing it. Uh, I wanted to repackage and redistribute the aqidah of Islam, which is a very intellectually and rationally robust uh, 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 package of ideas and thoughts and ways of looking at the world. Uh, so we can remind one another what's a gr- correct and sound way of looking at the dunya uh, and the akhirah and what's not. And we can then use those conceptions. Each of us as individuals uh, uh, use them as uh, a, a, a wellspring from which then good and sound actions can flow uh, uh, for the benefit of ourselves and the, the benefit of the Ummah of the Prophet in this world and the hereafter. So uh, if anyone's interested in that, they can... Check out the website ribat.org, R-I-B-A-T.org, um, and uh, they can contact me through that. And I'm happy to travel anywhere in the world uh, in order to teach this Mubarak Aqidah. Or you know, I'm happy to send you um, links to like recordings of it if you want. If you want to, you know, so every level, if you're completely broke, I have something for you. And if you want to sponsor a revival and a renaissance in the Ummah, I'm happy to work with you as well. Uh, and everything in the middle, inshallah. Uh, and we hope and pray that, that other people become prepared for that, uh, prepared for that as well so that they can have some meaning in their life. Also, other than just trying to buy a car and have a house and, you know, eat some food and turn it into, uh, in, into feces, uh, they can have something more that they can say about their life other than that. Allah Ta'ala give all of us so much stuff here. Um, we, we have a few other engagements that we need to get to, inshallah.
Salams guys, my name is Mohammed Zaud and I'm the co-founder of Toledo Society, which is a podcast network dedicated to English-speaking Muslims across the globe. We've launched a couple of shows and we have several in the pipeline. Our first show, which is called The Transit Lounge, which I host, is currently live and you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. On The Transit Lounge, we interview people who've had a considerable impact on the Muslim world. People who've had positions at the White House, members of parliament, business people and community people. We also have another show that's currently live called Seven Stories, Seven Minute Stories as you drop off your kids to school. We'd love your feedback and if you'd like to find out more, visit toledosociety.com. That's T-O-L-E-D-O society.com. So that's it for today's show. We hope you added value. We hope you enjoyed it. But most of all, we hope our guests inspired you to live with purpose. Don't forget to send us your suggestions via info at accidentalmuslims.com. If you know anybody out there that is inspiring, that's leading, that's living with purpose, please uh, do contact us. And remember, feedback is our oxygen. So follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I hope you enjoyed. God bless. Assalamu alaikum.